John and Carmen walk into a bar called Life. There are six non-gender specific people at the counter. The first one says, what brought you here? Ah, uh, we're curious. The second one says, where did you come from? Outside! Who is out there? E everyone bro, we're all outsiders in one way or another. When did you decide to leave there and come here? This moment, because that's all that matters. How do outsiders get in? Uh, oh, well that's easy, just ask your friend. Ask, ask why? So we took two activists. One is determined to convert porn consumers to respectful observers of consensual non-exploitative love between humans and another one who relentlessly pursued his own rapist and now promises justice for as many survivors as he can manage. A fearless and feared presence in the world of gender politics, Cindy is the epitome of formidable I nearly shat myself. Dion on the other hand is a goofy, empathetic, quite stoned and articulate storyteller and we are instantly thrilled that we could bring them together. Conversation is rapid fire. What emerges is the diamond-like exteriors and then sudden deep empathy and kindness of both of them. They understand that the human animal has almost infinite capacity for darkness and then suddenly this affinity for light. And instead of polarity, they preach conscious inclusion. These two think and it pours out of them. Authenticity and audacity are flying off the walls as the conversation hits nerves and bounces off taboos. What a privilege. We have a manifesto. We do. We've finally written our manifesto. Okay. We finally did it. And we decided we wanted to do that, this that everybody knows what we actually stand for. So when everyone else asked how high, we asked why. When we hear it's my way or the highway, we choose the highway every time. From early on, we didn't fit in. We wanted to be in, but eventually we became comfortable at the edge. Now the only middle we like is the finger we flash at those who say it can't be done. We found each other out there. We're not all the same looking, but we have the same insides. We're outsiders. We're, We're you. you. Very good. Fantastic. Okay, so today we are going to have a very interesting conversation because we have well, we're all activists, but we've put some two serious activists in the room with us. Um, first of all, I would like to introduce you to um, Dion Wigert, who is sitting with us in studio here today. And he started a podcast, My Only Story, um, and you'll hear more about his story shortly, um, of what's happening um, out there. But also, being in advertising and in the media industry, it is a very pressing matter that needs to be addressed. And then we've got Cindy Gallup, all the way from New York. She is one of the top ad age women. She started the Me Too advertising movement after... Um, Harvey Weinstein situation, and she's a change activist. Make love, not porn, um, which is um, the, the which. In fact, Cindy, I must tell you that these two boys went to go and register last night. But in any way, um, <laughs> John and I are a couple of make love, not porn. <laughs> Hot stuff. We're, we're going to make a video. <laughs> oh, it's time. Oh my god! Come I've on, been it's scrubbing it's my foreskin all day. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Right. All right. Right. Okay. So, Dion, maybe you can just do an elevator pitch on, on your story and then we go over to Cindy. Well, two years ago, I was an advertising copywriter in Johannesburg and my father died. And I, in the terrible weeks after that, I started thinking back about many things that I haven't thought of in, in many years. And gradually, I realized that I was thinking about a man called Willem Breitenbach, who had raped me in the mouth when I was 17 and who was still very much active in Cape Town. Um, so I 
did the only sensible thing, which was ask what would Sarah Koenig do. So I made a podcast. Um, through a four-episode podcast, I am on a quest to track down the man who wrote me when I was a child. And, I mean, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but the dick is under arrest and under, um, you know, contained to one magistrate's district. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a fascinating journey, but it's also helped a whole lot of other men start telling their stories. And there are a number of big scandals coming out in the coming months. And, and you know, it's it's... Everyone's talking about male rape all of a sudden. I mean, it's, it's such a privileged position to be in because who's ever been told, oh, please, can we hear more about your teenage rape? Um, right. So it's, it's, it's been, yeah, it's, it's about taking everything that's happened to me and turning it, turning it into a flower. Okay. Right. Cindy? So I'm Cindy Gallup. I'm the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn. We are pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And... I'm delighted to be um, on this podcast episode uh, with Dion because, um, you know, as I'm sure we'll get, get on to d- during the show, um, Make Love Not Porn came about by accident. But um, I've now spent 11 years working on a business whose ultimate mission is to end rape culture because um, our single-minded goal at Make Love Not Porn is to help make it easier for every single person in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. And we are doing that via um, being the world's first and only user-generated, human-curated social sex video sharing platform. We are what Facebook would be if Facebook allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which it doesn't. We are socializing sex, making it easier to talk about, in order to promote consent, communication, good sexual values, and good sexual behavior. We call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part is not the sex, it's the social. Wow. That is a much better elevator speech than mine is. I, I'm, I've been taking notes throughout. I'm, I'm really like, my poor elevator is so bored by the time we reach the 19th floor. It's like, we are, go, we are going down with Cindy. I mean, it's, just like, it's a powerful experience altogether. I mean, I mean, I think what's so incredible about both of your stories, because it seems to me that, Cindy, so I went to check out the website and I, I read about it. And, and the only thing which discouraged me was that there aren't more people on the site and after so many years because what that says to me is that the market is not necessarily interested as interested um, as they should be no not at all john um, um, let me contradict you there immediately cool the reason why we are not operating yet at the scale um, that i would like us to is because yeah. the one thing i didn't realize when i embarked on this venture was that i would fight an enormous battle every single day to build it Okay. Essentially because every piece of business infrastructure, any other tech startup just gets to take for granted. We can't because the small print always says no adult content. Uh. And this is all pervasive across every single area of the business in ways that people outside this sphere don't realize. Make Love Not Porn has had a universally positive response from everywhere in the world. Okay. Um, our battle is to do with the fact that we can't get funded. Our biggest obstacle finding investors is the social dynamic that I call fear of what other people will think, which operates around sex more than any other area. Um, But beyond just not being able to raise the funding we need to scale, I can't get banked. It took me four years to find one bank here in America that would allow me to open a business bank account for Make Love Not Porn. Every single tech service we need to use to operate our platform 
perfectly straightforward services, hosting, encoding, encrypting. The terms of service always say no adult content. In every single case, I have to go to the people at the top of the company, explain what I'm doing, beg to be allowed to use their service. Sometimes they let me, sometimes they don't. It's a very labor-intensive process. Biggest operational challenge, payment processing. PayPal won't work with us. Stripe can't. We had to build our entire video sharing, video streaming platform from scratch ourselves as proprietary technology because existing streaming services will not stream adult content. I am so jealous of friends who built video startups on top of Vimeo. Quick, easy, simple, cheap, I can't do that. Even something as apparently simple as finding an email partner to send the membership emails mm. out with. You know, MailChimp won't work with us, rejected by six or seven. We can't promote ourselves. Facebook, other social platforms refuse to carry any form of sex-related advertising. And so I can tell you that uh, we are welcomed everywhere in the world. Every time anybody writes about Make Love Not Porn in any country, no matter, no matter how small, that country rockets to be number two in traffic after the US, normally our biggest market. Our only obstacles, but, but very, very major ones, are financial and business. And those are the only reason that we have not scaled. And I have to tell you, as I regularly say to my team, the biggest thing we have to celebrate at Make Love Not Porn is that we're still here. Right. In a scenario where 70% of all startups fail within the first five years, the very fact that in the face of all of those obstacles, we are still going demonstrates how much traction we have with people and how much the world wants and needs us. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, uh, because having experienced the site, um, you know, as a dad, as a man, as, you know, a human, it's really a compelling experience because there's so much beyond, let's call it the porn kind of experience. Um, and, and what interests me uh, still on the market is, so the, perhaps we as th uh, the buyers or the, or the um, supporters I enjoy it, but, but as you say, these kind of large market forces that enable the market, so these infrastructure providers, who are they afraid of being judged by, if not the customer? Who, who, who are these people? There are a couple of responses um, to that, John, because first of all, it's important to note that um, in this whole area, compliance is knee-jerk. And what I mean by that is, in order to open up the tech and business world's minds, I regularly say the three huge disruption opportunities in tech today are sex, cannabis, and the blockchain. And ironically, investors are flooding into the other two more than the other first. What that means is that VCs and startups in cannabis and the blockchain can afford to fund lobbyists, regulation change, public education initiatives, foundations, we need all of that in sex tech because we need a new legal definition of adult content that that opens up, therefore, to ventures like mine. But, but, but the other thing I would say, all of this infrastructure we're talking about, the young white male founders of the giant tech platforms that dominate our lives today are not the primary targets online and offline of harassment, abuse, sexual assault, violence, rape. Therefore, they do not and they did not proactively design for it. Those of us most at risk every single day, women, people of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, we design safe spaces and safe experiences. My team and I spent literally years 
conceptually designing Make Love Not Porn, because we knew if we're going to invite people to something they've never done before, socially share their real world sex, we had to think through every possible ramification to create a completely safe and trustworthy space. We need the female lens, the black lens, the LGBTQ lens on all of this infrastructure, because we design very different experiences and we welcome in the open, healthy ventures that can transform the way all of us deal with many things, but above all, sex. Yeah, and, and I also just want to add to that, and something that really struck me as, um, you know, in the previous when we had the Carmen Murray show was that one thing is, is to teach people what consent looks like, because I think there's something very, very powerful in that. And, and, and just moving on to, to Dion, you know, um, I, I must tell you guys a story. I recently heard these rumors, right, of some directors in the advertising industry that at the year-end parties would put two envelopes and call the girls up and say, uh, choose your envelope. Who sleep with me tonight? This is your bonus. If you don't sleep with me, this is your bonus. And there's um, a lot of things, especially in the f with females, that you, you think it's all associated with, with females in the advertising industry. And there's a lot of horrifying stories. But then Dion's story comes out and you, you hear all of a sudden, oh my gosh, men are going through this? Are you serious? And, and we've been so focused on just the women going through it. And I just want you to maybe give us some context as to um, what, why, why are we not talking about this enough? I think there are a number of reasons. I think it starts with a very definition rape because there is this incredibly heteronormative notion that to be truly raped, you, it's a man rapes a woman in the vagina. And so if you're a man who's raped, then, you know, we've also got a hole down there. So, you know, that's proper rape. So I was just raped in the mouth. So I am luckier than the guy who was just, who was raped in the anus. However, I am not as lucky as the guy who was just groped. I mean, it's, it's, it's all absurd because, because the, the impact mm. of, of sexual violation, I mean, some kinds hurt more physically than others, but I mean, it fucks you up for decades. Um, yep. And, and, and yep. by, by, by heteronormatively and patriarchically referring to rape as like, you know, a dude who fucks the chick in the vag without, you know, um, I'm saying it in deliberately paternalistic terms. I don't normally call women chicks. Um, it's, 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 so it's, it's, to me, it's quite astonishing that it's, it's seen as a, as this thing that, you know, happens with women and then some men have quite similar experiences and then the other dudes just go about it. Yeah. It definitely seems like, so, so Dion's uh, podcast was extraordinarily successful in South Africa. Well, I don't know if it was only South Africa, it was all over, right? Uh, well, 87% of our listeners have been in South Africa, okay. but you know, 120,000 downloads for four episodes, I'm, it's really I'm good. coping with the disappointment. But what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to find a correlation because my question, I suppose, would be, so, so you're, a, you're a gay white man. I'm a straight white man for the you know, sake of context. Straight-ish. Straight-ish. I mean, it's early. <clears throat> but what I wanted to ask you is, I found the experience, I mean, the UX on your site's amazing. I felt welcome. It was very, very, really kind of intuitive in its reaction to me becoming a new member. How did you find the, um, the site? Um, I was quite surprised by how few gay men are on there. Um, oh. comparatively speaking, but, you know, and I, I don't know if that is just a proportion of how many gay people there are in any sample size. And Let me chip in on that, Dion, if, if you don't mind, because 
uh, one of my frustrations with our bootstrapping startup status is that we have never had the funds and resources to be able to implement community outreach programs. And um, we are especially frustrated because the area most lacking representation at the moment is gay men. And in fact, I did an interview with Out Magazine last year, putting the call out for many more gay male videos. But, um, by the way, we have many gay male fans, but somehow they are not coming through on the content. And so we are constantly calling out and reaching out in, in, in everywhere that we can in our own small way, because um, we absolutely want full representation. We are here to reflect the full spectrum of human sexuality, but also because when I conceived Make Love Not Porn, I, I absolutely had a specific agenda in mind, which is exemplified by the fact that before I launched the platform, you know, we, we obviously had to precede it with content. So I spent a whole year asking my network and complete strangers, will you film yourselves having real world sex for us? Okay. And, and by the way, that's how I discovered that 99.9% of the time, the answer is yes. People, um, you know, many more people are dying to do this and, and given a social reason, you know, social mission, social values, they jump at the chance. So pre-launch this young gay male couple living here in New York in a committed relationship mad in love with each other, really showed. They submitted a phenomenal video, which was 45 minutes of loving gay male sex. It was fantastic. Then just before launch, they asked to pull it. They got nervous, they'd shown their faces. One of them worked education. And the reason we operate a rent and stream model versus download and own is because our commitment is the moment anything changes, you know, relationship, life, mind, whoosh, gone, nowhere else. So we totally yanked it, but I wrote to them and I said, um, you know, I hope further down the line, you will allow us to publish this video. And, and here's why. The nature of the Make Love Not Porn brand is such that people would watch your video who would not watch gay porn, for example. And if you needed it, that video had the potential to completely change your worldview on what you think gay male sex is. Because if you are homophobic, you think that gay male sex is rips, chains, dungeons, Satan's bit of hell. <laughs> you know, when, you watch, when you watch two human beings loving each other, the same way you love your partner. I believe at scale, that has the power to be transformative in terms of how people view sexualities other than their own. And we're already seeing this happen on Make Love Not Porn, despite our deficiency on, on, on you know, gay male videos. We have a ton of solo videos. So we have men and women, um, and by the way, usually for the first time ever, most of our Make Love Not Porn stars have never filmed themselves doing anything sexual before ever. They're doing it for us because they believe in our social mission. So we have a number of you know, male and female masturbation videos. And the interesting thing about us is that straight, um, if you're a straight man, you have probably never seen another man masturbate. So we hear from straight men who write to us and say, they love the fact that they can view other men masturbate. I mean, one man said to us, wow, I suddenly realized I could be having so much more fun masturbating. <laughs> you know, and, and because because there's, no one, there's no one to tell you if you're wanking in the incorrect way. Right? <laughs> well, or rather, it, it's great to see other people's idiosyncratic <laughs> ways. You know, I mean, a man wrote to us. In fact, um, you know, with his permission, we published his email anonymously on our blog because he said, I'm a straight man. And I really enjoy the ability on Make Love Not Porn to watch other men masturbate. You know, he mentioned this particular Make Love Not Porn star. Wow, he's got this great technique. I adopted it. It's fantastic. You know, and, and so we are taking the no homo attitude out of all of this, along with removing the shame, embarrassment and guilt around sex. What I was wondering about the... Um... I I didn't I wasn't trying to give you shade about the amount of gay videos on there. What I 
<laughs> what, I, what I did wonder about was whether there is something innate about gay male hypersexualization that makes it a less uh, appealing prospect. Um, because, I mean, there's obviously much of it comes from sexual abuse and, you know, it's gay boys are at, at particular risk because you're thinking about sex with men all of the time and then this man has sex with you, so this must be what you wanted, even though that is completely not what you wanted. But but one of the, the most common coping mechanisms is hypersexualization and because it, it minimizes everything. And and the the effects of, of, of abuse are so obvious to me in the party and play culture and the the, the chemsex culture and, and, and much of what, what drives gay hypersexuality. And and I, I, I wondered whether that had an impact. Actually, do you know, Dion, just based on the, the evidence I have, and by the way, my evidence is all qualitative and anecdotal because obviously we don't operate at the kind of scale. But um, first of all, in response to that, I'm blown away every day at, A, how effectively Make Love Not Porn does what I design it to do, but B, how effectively it does what I did not design it to do. Because we're a social experiment. We're putting this platform out there. We don't dictate what real world sex is. You, the world, you, our community, show us. And so I've been blown away and moved by the number of victims of rape, sexual assault and abuse, and by the way, male and female, who have written to us telling us that we helped them reclaim their bodies and reclaim their sexuality. Amazing. You know, one, um, and actually I'd love to, I'll send you a link after this to, we have a post in our blog for a 24-year-old man who, he's straight, he said, you know, he was, um, as inevitably, as a young man, heavy porn watcher, etc. He was raped on campus, and, and that completely changed his worldview um, on everything. And when he discovered us, he was so moved, and in fact, he was moved enough that he allowed us to publish this post under his own name. I mean, I thought that was amazing. He was willing to be open about that. And, and, and secondly, and, and again, you know, this is just me talking to gay male friends and, and fans of us. But what I have heard back is that it, um, it, it is true that it's easier to propose filming yourselves and sharing a real world sex on Make Love Not Porn if there is something of an ongoing relationship there. And if you are focused on more casual sex, and by the way, we welcome, you know, we would love you to bring someone home from the bar and go, hey, tell you what. But but on balance, that is less likely to happen. <laughs> um, you know, right. And so, you know, again, as I say, this is this is my, my you know, very small sample size of, of the gay men I know, a number of whom are not in ongoing relationships or having more casual sex and therefore say it's less easy to propose, you know, videoing yourselves in that scenario. And um, I'm happy to say that, that we do seem to be a terrific aid to people who are, you know, looking to really reclaim their sexuality in their bodies. I, I, I want to actually um, bring something up. So uh, a few weeks ago, John and I had a, um, a conversation. So I did a post um, on, on our outsiders platform, on our community that we started to create. And I posted this, this thing that says, self-love is the greatest middle finger of all time. And um, I obviously saw that as self-love like in, you know, you know way. my way. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, John, says, you know what that actually means? I said, no, what? And he's like, no, there's a different interpretation from my side. I'm like, what are you 
talking about? And we actually had a very interesting conversation about this. And I, I would actually... <laughs> well, it's a masturbation reference. I mean, obviously... I didn't know that. You know, um, um, I mean, well, no, but what we said was it, it's up... You know, the beautiful thing about that thing is it's kind of up to interior. It's like a Rorschach test, you know. <laughs> I mean, but what's interesting is Carmen did not see it at all. And that's a really interesting point about perception. If it's not in your mind, you won't see it. But, but the conversation that we had was about the importance of masturbation, self-love. Absolutely. That could maybe prevent rape culture of happening because we have such a stigma about it and re religions telling you not to do it. And maybe this is something that needs to, 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 we need to talk about. Mm. Well, I mean, I mean, this is the entire purpose of Make Love. Uh, by the way, well, one interesting thing is those Make Love Not Porn stars who have shared masturbation videos with us, male and female, tell us that doing so actually made them love themselves more. Literally, mm. it enhanced their sexual sense of self, their sexual self-esteem. As I said earlier, everything we're doing is designed to make it easier for everybody to talk openly and honestly about sex. Yep. And the, the impact of that, so, so, so Dion, the, the way I talk about um, our overall goal at Make Love Not Porn um, is um, because when I say that's our mission, because we don't talk about sex currently, people don't get how massively, powerfully transformative the impact of that would be. And this is what I mean. I designed Make Love Not Porn around my own beliefs and philosophies, one of which is that everything in life starts with you and your values. And so I regularly ask people this question. What are your sexual values? And nobody can ever answer me because we're not taught to think like that. Our parents bring us up to have good manners, work ethic, sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed. But they should, because in bed, values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty, respect are as important as those values are in every other area of our lives where we're actively taught to exercise them. And so my vision of the world, if I can get Make Love Not Porn funded to achieve our mission at scale, is this. Parents will bring their children up openly to have good sexual values and good sexual behavior in the same way they currently bring them up to have good values and good behavior in every other area of life. We will therefore cease to bring up rapists because the only way that you end rape culture, and, and this really is the only way, is by embedding in society and openly talked about, understood, promoted, operated, and very importantly, aspired to gold standard of what constitutes good sexual values and good sexual behavior. When we do that, we also end Me Too. We end sexual harassment, violence, abuse, or areas where the perpetrators currently rely on the fact that we do not talk about sex to ensure their victims will never speak up, never go to authorities, never tell anybody. When we end that, we massively empower women and girls, but also anybody and everybody who is a victim of abuse and rape. We therefore create a far happier world for everybody, including men. And when we do that, we are one step closer to world peace. I talk about Make Love Not Porn as my attempt to bring about world peace, and I'm not joking. And in that sense, what we are doing could not be more relevant in the era of Me Too, because to Carmen's reference earlier, everybody right now, quite rightly, is talking about consent. Everybody is writing about consent. Here's the problem. Nobody knows what consent actually looks like in bed. The only way you educate people as to what is 
great consensual communicative sex, good sexualizing behavior is by watching people actually having that kind of sex. And make love not porn is the only place on the internet you can do that. Every one of our videos is an object lesson in consent, communication, good sexualizing behavior. We are literally education through demonstration. I'm just going to ask Cindy questions because... Please do. Well, yeah. We felt that's what we wanted to we connect wanted you to guys. We wanted to connect you two because we think that between the two of you, we can get some answers. Can we have a... We have oh, a I'm, I'm going to have to leave in that case. We, we have a presidential candidate somewhere here. <laughs> Cindy, to what degree do you think that the, Purit the Puritanism that runs through American society systemically is, is much of the reason for all of this and much for the reason that you can't use PayPal or Facebook? Because... This, this, because of, of, of the hegemonic position of the states, we, that effectively makes the rules for the rest of us. Oh, well, do you know, Dion, so um, we're a global platform at Make Love Not Porn, and what we're addressing is a global issue everywhere. Um, but by the way, um, the infrastructure problems, the investment problems exist all around the world because I, I'm desperate. I've asked for help everywhere in the world. You know? and, and here's the interesting thing, and, and, and this is why... You know, I am, I am absolutely convinced that with the right resources and funding, I can, I can make the change I want to see in the world. Make Love Not Porn started life 12, 13 years ago as this little side venture, you know, where, you know, there I was dating younger men going, whoa, you know, I've suddenly realized that I'm encountering what happens when total freedom of access to porn online meets total reluctance to talk openly honest about sex. So when I launched Make Love Not Porn in 2009 at TED, its original iteration was just words, porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. And the entire world responded. And the interesting thing about that is that that original makelovenotporn.com site was a manifestation of me. And what I mean by that is it was very simple, straightforward, truthful, honest, down to earth, utterly non-judgmental, and it had a sense of humor. We never get to have conversations about sex within those parameters. The moment we do, the floodgates open. And so, you know, um, the hypocrisy we see all around us is a function of, you know, um, what I referenced earlier, this fundamental dynamic of fear of what other people will think. And the moment you do what we're doing at Make Love Not Porn, socialize and normalize all of this, those barriers break down. You know, I have 11 years worth of people, complete strangers, the moment they find out what I do, just going, <laughs> dying to talk about sex. Everybody is dying to have it normalized. And, you know, when, um, um, when you have something that breaks through all of that, honestly, the impact is absolutely extraordinary. And so, um, yes, at the moment, the, the hypocrisy sets up these barriers. But I'm convinced that when, when we can bring the social sex revolution to everything, um, we can totally break those barriers down because the world wants everything that we are all here talking about. You've, um, you've mentioned a few times about, you know, what would people think and the reluctance of, of, you know, survivors, for instance, of sexual abuse coming forward and, and putting their names to things. And I read a, a piece in The Guardian where you spoke about Time 2 and how, how hard it has been to get people to put their names to these things. And, and that, has, that has frustrated me no end as well. I mean, in, in, my, in my quest for Breitenbach, the, the, you know, charming rapist, um, we've, I mean, more than 40 men have now come forward, but... I'm still the only one saying, but me, I did it. And I 
throughout last year, because it took me a year to put the thing together, I got incredibly frustrated with some guys because it's like, you know, for fuck's sakes, I'm already doing the heavy lifting. All I need you to do is, yes, you write me, here's a statement, and deal with two decades of trauma, and we can all move on. Um, so, but, but the, the notion of toxic shame that is attached to saying me too has, has really been hard for me, and, I, and I'm wondering about your similar experiences. When the whole Harvey Weinstein expose broke back in October 2017, I'd been speaking out about sexual harassment for years, since way before Me Too. And I spoke out about it publicly because nobody else would. And I had many messages from women in our industry, but they, they were not willing to kind of talk to the media. So, you know, when the Harvey Weinstein story broke, I thought now's my chance. And I put a post on Facebook. And by the way, I didn't even think a huge amount about this, but I basically said, women of the advertising industry, the time has finally come to name names, like the brave women who, who spoke up about Harvey. You know, email me and I will connect you with, you know, um, empathetic journalists. An avalanche hit my inbox and an avalanche hit my inbox from every corner of the world. It was global. You know, I heard from not only women, but from men. I heard from men who had been harassed and assaulted by powerful gay men in our industry. In all of this time, the reason I've not been able to get anybody to speak up and name names is because the powerful men doing the harassing are the gatekeepers of everything. They're the gatekeepers of jobs, promotions, pay raises, awards, can lines, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And when I realized how, you know, how, how strong this fear was, you know, because people said to me, I'll never work again. So I, um, I set out to do several things to try and break down those barriers. So um, first of all, I tried to reposition whistleblowers as the heroes of our industry. And so I put a call out, and again, our trade press around the world were very helpful in, in putting these stories out. I put a call out to say, you know, these are the true heroes. Everybody should be falling over to hire them because they are the people standing up for what is right. And I wanted agencies and holding companies to pledge that they would interview and potentially hire any whistleblower. And I could get my friends who ran smaller agencies to pledge, but none of the big ones did. Then I set out, to your point, I set out to guilt the men. So I put a call out and I said, men of the advertising industry who stood by, watched, laughed, joined in, participated, turned a blind eye, said nothing. Now is your chance to look yourself in the mirror every morning. You know, how many years later it's been, come forward and tell, and, and tell those stories that you witnessed. That worked, by the way. Um, to, I absolutely got a number of men who, who felt guilty enough about what they had either knowingly or unknowingly been part of to, to reach out to me. Um, but they too were scared shitless because again, you know, th these are the men who, um, you know, th their jobs, their career rewards um, are, are in their gift. And, and also that th there was a very interesting syndrome too, because the flip side of sexual harassment is bullying and abuse. The men doing the sexual harassing are also behaving appallingly to everybody. And so I heard from men in our industry who were completely and utterly emotionally traumatized by bullying and victimization. I mean, and this wasn't sexual, but this was really appalling emotional abuse. And they could not bring themselves to speak up because when you are a man, to admit that you have been that affected by another man 
goes completely against our societal construct of masculinity. You know, and I heard from men who were utterly destroyed by this, but could not bring themselves to speak up because of the way it would look reflecting them as men. And so I completely concur with you. Um, and by the way, I've been very vocal, again, about all of this um, in the two and a half years since. And I've spoken publicly about the fact that I'm never giving up. You know, I've said powerful men of, of our industry who think you've gone away with it, you haven't. And by the way, I've also said powerful women in our industry who have enabled and covered up powerful men, you have not gotten away with it either. Because I've not been able to break those stories, but you bet one day I bloody will. I'm not giving up. Uh, yes! Hashtag me too. Yes! Um, <laughs> um, that's why we love Cindy. So, well, Indian, for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> uh, Cindy, I... I to that point, I because I I did a lot of work with with toxic masculinity and shame before I acknowledged my abuse, um, and I you know because as a as a gay boy growing up, you are taught that you have to you know the, the foundation of you is unlovable. So in, if I don't project something else onto the outside, once people find out what I really am, then then you know that is not the part of me that can be loved. So you know that leads to its old it, its own bunch of of, of problems and. But I, I kind of worked through that before my acknowledgement, and I, I do think that that might have helped a whole lot that I kind of got over shame. But interestingly, since the since the podcast ended in November, I have never felt any shame about it, anything or, or whatever, except once. I it was the beginning of the year. I'm flying on a from Cape Town to Johannesburg on a sun uh, on a Sunday evening, and I'm sitting in the lounge, which is pretty full. And out of the corner of my eye, I see somebody do that thing where they recognize you but don't want to be seen right. by you. So, I mean, yep. I immediately recognized the guy. He's someone I went to school with. I contacted him last year for um, help, and he didn't get back to me, which is fairly common. Um, so I, we walked past each other a few times, and I ignored him back. Um, then we were on the same flight back to Johannesburg. Um, I'm a frequent flyer, so I got priority boarding, so fuck him. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> but then I was I was sitting in I think 15D and he was sitting in 14D. Wow. So he had to spend the two hour flight back to to Joburg like you know sitting right in front of me and looking sheepish. <laughs> then when we got up and like you know got all of the shit out of the out of the the overhead bins. Oh. I mean, we were standing closer than you and I are standing next to each other. And I mean, by that point, the oh hi, how are you moment had completely passed. Um, but but he made me feel so so ashamed somehow. So luckily I saw my therapist the next day and I said, you know, for the first time that any of this has happened, I felt like I was wearing a scarlet letter. And my, my therapist said to me, it is not a scarlet letter, it is a cape. And it, it gave me so much, yes, fuck you for a second time. Um, I, I, I don't want, I'm not here to be heroic, but I'm not here to be a scarlet lettered cunt. So if I'm going to be one of those two, I will be heroic. Thank you. Right. Absolutely. And, 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 and by the way, can I just say to you, I mean, I mean, first of all, the very idea that you should feel shame is ridiculous, but trust me, you are not feeling remotely as much shame as he was he would have been ashamed as hell. And, and that is why he said nothing to you. You know, trust me, he is feeling seriously, seriously shitty. You know, and, and, and by the way, I would just say, if you run into that situation again, 
you know, one of my philosophers is always meet evil with good. When you um, when you see someone like that, go over, shake their hand, smile and say, hi, how are you doing? Don't reference what they may or may not, not have done. You know, just be incredibly nice and then walk away because, trust me, that will make them feel even shittier. But I was not in, I mean, I was tired so, and wanted to fly back so, to Cape Town. So I, I, would just, I, I would just like to point out as a, as a sort of a, a witness of this conversation. We call this thing the outsiders and clearly you two have some stuff in common. The, the one is that w whether you're comfortable with it or not, I think what you've done is really heroic. Both of you, it's, it's been a long struggle and, and, and you've overcome incredible things and continue to. Uh, I love your promise, Cindy, that you won't give up. It's just really, it's important for me as a father to know that there are people like you on this planet for the benefit of my child, if it's too late for me. But, um, but the other thing that you are clearly, I'm not afraid of being on the outside. Um, you both have incredible ability to operate on the, you speak about growing up with an unlovable core, which is a really sad place for a kid. You know, that's really not fair, and it's, it's shit. Um, and Cindy, you, you've kind of positioned yourself as like, I, I will be in this position because it's right, and it may not be popular now, but I believe in it, I will not give up. I just want to ask you both, what do you think it is about certain people who realize on the outside that there are parts of themselves that are completely resilient I mean, Dion, you just woke up one day and went, fuck this, I'm, I'm not having it. And you followed through. And Cindy, you were revolutionizing an entire you know, industry by helping people to express themselves and feel safe. So I guess I have to ask who wants to go first. But you clearly have qualities we need to hear about. I'm comfortable with enough with my masculinity to make Cindy go first. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say, John, was that you know, there is no inside and outside. You know, I regularly in interviews, you know, people say to me things like, gosh, Cindy, you know, you're so outspoken, you're so provocative, you know, blah, blah, you know, how do you get that? Um, and my response is that I would never describe myself in those terms, because as far as I'm concerned, I'm just being me and I'm living and working my values. And so I don't see any inside and outside. I just see the importance of being true to yourself. And honestly, that is what everybody else really wants to be doing too. Um, you know, when you talk about inside and outside, you know, the so-called societal inside, there are many, many people living lives they don't want mm -hmm. to live. They're living on, you know, societal, societal oiled grooves because that is the way society told them they should live and they are desperately unhappy. So that's not the inside. Right. You know, um, there is only ever you know, living and working in a way that is true to you. And that is what I would love to see everybody doing. It's um, what I try to help with in my, my speaking and consulting work. And so, you know, t um, what I would say to everybody is the single most important starting point is take a long, hard look within yourself. Ask yourself, what do I stand for? What do I believe in? What do I value? What am I all about? And then live your life and do your work according to that, because that is the secret to happiness. When you know that everything you are doing, um, you're doing in a way that is true to you. Wow. I'm pretty Amazing. sure that answer won't be used in a promo, though, because, I mean, Cindy is just contradiction, contradicting the entire premise of your show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe I can say something more, more like, you know, I'm not so I feel like whatever I, you're going to say I'm now is just trying to carry favor. <laughs> no, 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 I, I have to say, everything you've just said actually conforms to mine. Of, of because we ultimately know that the outsider idea is exactly what you've described, and it's it's a judgment call, 
when you're inauthentic yeah. and, and that magnificently sits in. So I just wanted to wreck your thunder. <laughs> and don't edit it out. Because you haven't had a shit enough time yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm making a note of new things that are coming up. Um, I do think though there's a big outsiderism and, and insiderism around what you, can, what you do with your compassion. Because okay. there are a hell of a bunch of people who want to do the right thing and who say like, you know, oh, this isn't wrong or this isn't right. You know, somebody needs to speak out. I am not going to do it though. And and the, the the closer to the inside you are, I'm 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 not here to hate on Christians, but the more religious somebody is on their Facebook profile, the more I can be sure they will not help me. Because their their values come from God and they don't have to do anything other than ask for sporadic forgiveness. Right. Um whereas, you know, I to me it feels like I'm doing the bare minimum I can do while living with myself. Because it's it's People ask why I do it like this. It's like, how can you not? I mean, last year this time, this guy was raping boys throughout the Cape Peninsula, and now he's heading for jail. I mean, how, how is that not the least you can do? And and I I, I, I realize I'm sounding overly martyry, and, and I'm a person of very low quality. So please huh. do bear that in mind. Um, but... <laughs> It is frustrating to me how people are like, oh, this isn't right. No, I'm not going to say anything about it. For fuck's sake, you must. Yeah. Good. I love everything you've just said. I've changed my... I was going to be like, you know, like fight with you, but now I'm not. Oh, John. (laughs) Our future on Make Love Not Born is back on. This date is going really well. (laughs) I just... I feel that there's um, there's a... to your point, Dion, and, and I think that's the level of your frustration, uh, well, because I'm, I'm assuming what you feel, but, but what I'm trying to say is that there's a level of torpor, you know, there's a level of, like, just not even satisfaction, it's just, it's just it's surrender to these grooves you speak about, um, Cindy, where people would rather just choose an unhappy life, and then when you get someone who, who um, is trying to do something, just everyone gives resistance, it's, it's the strangest counterintuitive human thing to gang up on the person trying to make the change. And if you look at all the major change agents in the world, generally we've tried to kill them first. <laughs> and, and, and then we've decided that they were a genius after the fact. And it's just, it is a really tragic kind of human quality. I don't know. But I think these, this bravery is absolutely necessary. Um, we have to tear down the walls so that we can build bridges, that we can change things, and, and we can push the human race forward. And, and it's not a comfortable place to be, and I think it's very courageous of what you guys um, have done. But I want to ask you both the same question, and I want to start with you, Dion. What is the one question that you always go, I wish they asked me that question? That is a great question. Uh, oh, I should, she think, I should, think, of a, I should think of an answer as well. Hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> your, your kind of job now is to give an answer. Oh, yeah. to that. Um, <laughs> do you always look this handsome while fighting child rapists? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite quite a good question. I'm, I'm, I'm finding it hard to answer the question because I try to answer this, these questions in in the writing, and and because it's it's a. Um, if listeners are, are left with a question like, how did you feel about that? Then I didn't really do my job. Um, also, I mean, I kind of interview myself. So, you know, you ask, an answer, you ask a question, then I give the answer to some question. 
Um, so I, I don't feel particularly underrepresented in the things that I've been allowed to say. Has anybody ever asked you, are you okay? People, actually, that annoys me, to be honest. People do all the time. And, okay. And people assume that I would be incredibly troubled by everything that has happened to me. I mean, I, I got the stroll who told me that, you know, you're a okay. rape victim, you're supposed to sit in a corner and cry. Um, and, and well, I mean, that is clearly not it. And, and I, I get quite, and I realize that it comes from a place of care. But strangers meet me on the street and go, can I give you a hug? No. No, you can't give me a hug. I, I, um, I have issues with consent, as you should maybe have Well, heard. I was going to say, at least they're asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, which is a refreshing, you know, change. Change. Um, but, but, but nonetheless, it's like, how, how dare you assume what I feel? I, of course I'm okay. I mean, do I not look okay? Okay, don't answer that. Um, yeah, people do ask me if, I, if I'm okay, and I am okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is obviously got some issues, but it's fine. <laughs> Therapy twice a week, motherfucker. Okay. Cindy? One question that I'd like everybody to ask is, how can we and our listeners help make love not porn? And the answer to that is, everybody listening to this, A, please go to makelovenotporn.com and sign up. It's free to join. B, please take out a monthly subscription to help us. They start at $10 a month. And C, if you know um, any investors who would be interested in funding the social sex revolution, email Cindy at makelovenotporn.com. D, think about becoming a Make Love Not Porn star. You will find the experience transformative, as our Make Love Not Porn stars tell us. And E, because these are five micro actions um, that I share. The thing that you can do to help what we are all about is talk about sex every day. And when I say that, I don't mean go out there and talk about sex. What I mean is, in the course of your daily life, um, if you are you know, having a conversation where if we were not so messed up about it, it would be natural to talk about sex, do that. And you know, my example is, um, you know, I have a ton of friends on Facebook. And you know, as, um, as we all see with our friends on Facebook, you know, they're constantly either p- posting you know, birthday celebrations or, you know, jealousy-inducing vacations somewhere gorgeous. And everyone comments. <laughs> and so what I do when I comment is on the birthday celebration, I will say, happy birthday, I hope you had great birthday sex. Uh-huh. And on the photo of the gorgeous beach resort, I will say, oh, my God, how wonderful, what a lovely beach, I hope you had great sex on it. Because, you know, they are. <laughs> and, and that is what I mean by socialising and normalising sex. Yep. And when I do that... My friend respond and go, yeah, actually, Cindy, we do. You know, because again, when you think it's normal and okay, people respond to that. Yeah. So the, those are the five micro actions I'd love people to take to support Make Love Not Porn. Now that I've heard Cindy's answer, the question I'm not asked often enough is, how can we listen to the four episodes and can we subscribe to a newsletter? And the answer is yes, you can. MyOnlyStory.org. There are all, five, all four episodes, plus the newsletter sign up, you can donate. I mean, people, people don't ask often enough, how much money do you want, Dion? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you guys are insane. But jeez, like, I feel like I need a flag. Okay, well, if we, this episode, episode needs to come to an end but i have a quote for you when somebody asks or ask you ask you yesy you look familiar then you should answer oh i do porn um no i wouldn't do that carmen because i've spent 11 years separating out what make love not porn is from uh, porn 
an indicator of how fucked up we are as a society about sex is that people go about make love not porn oh people having sex in video must be porn and i've spent 11 years um emphasizing that we are pioneering a whole new category on the internet social sex and so while while what i do has absolutely made me a champion of an advocate for the porn industry they face all the same barriers i do and i want to help break those down but nevertheless um i'm afraid i appreciate um the joke but i won't be doing that because i am spearheading the social sex revolution and what we're doing at make love not porn is social sex nice i have to say um i must say that i pure, really honestly when i went to the site this morning i did go cynically i was cynical i had my kind of preconceived ideas it is transformative. You almost feel, you feel humbled and you feel privileged to be led into those people's lives. Mm. It, it's, a, it's a gift because I 100% endorse what you just said. There is such a difference between what might be called porn and, and what you're doing. And it's in the experiencing of it because what proves it for me is you don't have to be a make love not porn star. You immediately feel that you're in a, in a kind of respectful space when you go in. And how yep. you leave and, 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 and what goes through your mind when you're watching what's going on, there's a 100% change and, and it's quite incredible. So, so thank you for doing it, Cindy. Thank you. And I just want to say what I love about you is like you just don't, you're, you're like a honey badger. You're just like, ah! And you say what you say and you say. Is that and the you, noise <laughs> <make>? Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean like. You're always so straightforward, and thank you for putting me on my place. I shouldn't. It maybe I I, I God, didn't. Well think done, that, and that like, the star guest <laughs> in the last minute of the interview. But, yeah, but I, but I also want to say that it's it's that knee jerk definition of porn. We've normalized it. Yes, and 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 it's uh, you know that's a really big symptom. It's not it's not you. It's how we talk about it and make porn the butt of a joke. Yeah. But without even considering the ramifications. I mean, like, we've just been having this serious conversation. I made the joke. And now I'm like, oh, my it, subconscious no, is going. But it's a great lived experience <laughs> of what exactly what we uh, need to look out for. So, 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 so. Uh, Cindy, I have to tell you. So, we, we have these, this, this thing that's like disruption diaries, right? Um, we, we challenge each other to walk in somebody else's shoe for, shoes for a day or for a week or to do something that's uncomfortable that we've never done before. Maybe you want to create a, a porn. <laughs> a well, porn yeah, video. You know, I mean, I would, I would have to think about it, but that's, you know. A real world video for Make Love Not Porn. You know? <laughs> but I'm going to digest that for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to say to you is something profound happened. So the first challenge was um, he challenged me to be vegan for seven days. And in the first two days, without knowing that I'm, I'm not supposed to have any dairy, anything, subconsciously, I'm, every morning when I make my coffee, because I'm hot, when I make coffee, I, when I wake up in the morning, I, my eyes are closed and I, I feel my way through the house. And then I, and then I put the kettle on and I make the coffee. And I just opened the, opened the fridge and for two days I was putting milk into my coffee and I'm supposed to do a vegan challenge. Now, why I'm saying this is because I realized in that moment is that some things have become so normal um, that, that we, we do these things and you, you really have to be conscious all the time 
um, when you make a decision to stand for something or do something that you really have to be all in. But um, it was just like, I, what was the way I explained it? It was like, it's like you're an autopilot. Yeah. And that for me was um, a profound uh, moment. And that just kicked in again. Autopilot, that joke is actually not okay. For yeah. me. Yep. But, you've not, but now it, you've seen it. But now, yeah. People live their lives in oiled grooves. Yeah. Anyway, Cindy, um, Dion, I just want to say your bravery and I have so much respect for you and I, I love that you've, you've taken the courage and we're 100% behind you and I'm sure that Cindy is also 100% behind you. And, Absolutely. And, and um, yes, I just want to thank you very much. I know that you're probably one of the busiest women on this planet. But we will it's do. Fine, I can stay for a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> but we will do whatever we can um, to spread this message and get it out there as wide as possible using our networks and get it out there because this is a very important episode and conversation that not many people are willing to have. Yeah. I thought you would be scary and you were lovely. Thank you so much, Cindy. <laughs> we, love, we love you. <laughs> this is a great Thanks conversation. So really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye, Thanks so much, Cindy. Thank you. Bye. Um, that was a that was a very cool. That was amazing. I I I like Cindy Gallup. Oh my gosh! Like she is just like my mind has my mind has just gone like so many. I mean, I feel like such a no. But but this is my whole point, right? There's no need for you to feel like that. I'm going to connect to you feeling ashamed. Um, there's no point to that. What we're doing is we're learning as we go. Yeah, and it's only by getting to meet people who actually have lived this shit. Yeah, as opposed to people who just talk about it at Bry's, then she can help us to think about, and then you connect your milk thing to that. Like it's it's a neural network thing, and that's a brilliant learning moment. But you also have a natural narrative arc for this episode now. Remember, in in, in a great episode, the protagonist has to change, and the change has to come from within. Yeah. You've just, I mean, you've transformed you've during this past 16 minutes of audio magic. Fuck, I mean, it's like the writer is in the room <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's got this really deep voice. It's just hypnotic. It's actually not my real voice. So that was cool. And, and, and thank you so much for being part of it. Absolutely. Because thank you for having me. It genuinely brings, it, it brings aroundness to this issue for me. Mm. Um, and and um, I, I really mean it when I say that you know I tell the story about meeting Peter Dirk Ace when I did my show and it was a moment in my life when I was young and, and I got to meet Peter and I had a big decision to make and my manager at the time said well what do you want to do and I said I want to speak to someone I really like look up to and Peter invited us out to Darling watch a show and then after the show he came out and had lunch with us it was just the most I mean for me it was it was like meeting Elvis and then at one stage, he reached over and he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, "Ah, Scott, we artists. I nearly, I mean, I nearly blew the guy at the table. I, I, was, <laughs> I was so excited to be called an artist. But it, for me, it was like a little weirdo meeting a much bigger, more successful weirdo. And the big weirdo going, it's all going to be okay, my little weirdo. You're going to grow up and be a big weirdo. It's all oh, going to be fine. Thank God for the big weirdos. Hey? Thank fuck. I mean, I don't know how else you'd survive. I you're mean, my big weirdo now, so. Really? Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> and you're so much bigger than me. It's like a really funny, it's even more weird. It's great. <laughs> and I was like, like seriously, like it's like double your length. Yeah, he has double my length. Well, we'll find out on date night. I mean, oh my I, God. I do have my suspicions. But. Very wo- I'm very worried about the other two partners. They've got a lot of talking to do. Oh, they, can't, um, oh, they can't make it. I told them they, I told them it's off. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Yes, talk. For the light. Okay. Um, so, um, 
We need to talk, John. The Disruptive Diary. John and Carmen challenge each other and the listener by providing a life-based challenge that involves disrupting previous behavior and learning new things. Neuroscientific research, that's brain research, has shown that not only does doing new things open new neural pathways, but also that it contributes to the long-term happiness of human beings. There are some rules to this diary, however. No is not an option. Number two, you have to give whatever the challenge is a good go. No slacking off. And number three, you can always ask for help from the person who set the challenge. Number four, if the challenge is impossible for you, as long as you're honest about the outcome, failing is absolutely fine. No judgments here. Oh, I was hoping we could just get we would no, skip I over this see, part. I can see where, where we're going with this. So, so I put my heart and soul into. Um, but you like you genuinely did. Like, I, I can't. I can't for one second even like it was. A, you did a great challenge. Okay, yeah. So I put my heart and soul. You don't have to comment on it. I have given you a challenge, and mm-hmm. I put. Oh no, I have put my heart into my challenge, and you. I give you your challenge. Can I? Can I make it even worse? You even put your heart and soul into my challenge. <laughs> Carmen, you tried so hard to help me, and I let you down so badly. <laughs> I'm going to help you to like shit on me on this one because I really didn't do very well. Okay, so tell me what happened. What I realized about this social can – I, can I just yeah. – I need to put it on, on record though. Okay, you are very, very good at this shit. Like I know it's your business and we're not here to blow each other's whistles, but, but you are genuinely like – in the work you've done with me on on my social media stuff, not part of the challenge, has been incredible. So so Thank it's you. yeah, like you can't really be a brilliant vegan. I mean, that was my challenge, and <laughs> like, like I don't know how else you do it. You just don't eat certain things. It's it's like not that hard, right? Um, so but but you are very good at this. So so that's the first thing. I didn't realize how much work you put in constantly. And it's not the kind of thing where you can like let it slide and then at the end of the week you can catch up. Mm. You've missed. It's consistency. It's like timing. And I just kept not staying constant. <laughs> it's like that. And you kept asking me, here's the thing. You offered me the advice. You showed me how to do it. I fucking didn't do it. And so I really didn't do a very good job. Okay, but but actually... What were you supposed to do? I'm sorry, okay. I must know. Sorry, John, I'm talking and he's and sitting I'm assuming here. so much might some of your other so, listeners. So uh, shortly, um, you know, after, uh, you know, um, Carmen completed the vegan challenge brilliantly because um, she learned stuff and she found insights and she had like emotional connections. It was really, really amazing. Documented it beautifully. Uh, um, I was uh, challenged that my, my uh, digital presence was really not very good. So I needed to um, improve that. So I undertook to give it a go. And I just, so, so here's my insight is that I'm one of those people who very seldom takes a camera on holiday. Mm. And the reason is I, I'm not really going somewhere to be behind a camera. Like I want to be in the marketplace and, and smell the spice. And I mean, I'm now making it sound like I go on much more sophisticated holidays <laughs> than I do. But, but what I'm trying to say is that I'm in the moment and I get so swept up in the moment that I v- very seldom record it. So, so I have to try and learn to experience it and record, I think. 
no, I, 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 I do believe that there, there needs to be um, a, a digital presence where, um, you know, you, you do your things online, but there also needs to be an element of um, completely going um, offline, like having an offline life. I don't right. think that you need to. I've got that covered. I'm <laughs> <not coming. laughs> I think it's, I think it's very important to, to have the balance. Um, look, to be honest with you, is 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 is, is di- digital is 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 not an easy easy thing. I think yeah. I think it's it's very complex. But I have to commend you. Like we spent, I think, three hours on the phone one night. We did, and then two hours the next day. Like we were on the phone trying to solve. <laughs> We lost <laughs> his entire audience. But, 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 <laughs> no, but like literally, like I erased myself from the internet by mistake. <laughs> like I mean, it was no. common to get. <laughs> first of all, when you log in right on on a password you don't know, <laughs> and you're in, and then somehow change the password <laughs> to something you cannot remember the moment you've set it, uh. and you didn't write it down. Like I genuinely created. What's and you're movie? not the admin. No. <laughs> Wizard of you said the 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 Wizard of Oz or something. Um and the, <laughs> <laughs> the I mean the man that happens because we think, oh, a password. I must have something creative and interesting. I mean I, I created an internet lock that that man with the amazing mind who <laughs> invented the Enigma machine in England wouldn't have he would have given up. So so I just I, I really made it but you unpicked it and you got everything back. Yeah, but everything is sorted. But the great thing about you is that I've decided to challenge you without you knowing by putting you on the spot and saying, I need a video from you now. I need a video from you now. Right. And this is what happened is that you actually responded and you put yourself in front of the camera and actually you answered some of our community and outsiders. You answered some of their questions and you did it on video and you were comfortable doing it. And now you like we're doing a lot of videos lately. Right. Well, that you see that I've discovered I can do. If you tell me you've got 45 seconds and you need to do blah, 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 I can do that. That's no problem. <laughs> I can make pretty things, right? Oh. I just can't share them and I can't tag them and I keep forgetting. But hashtag you're doing thing, it. Thing. Well, I'm, now I'm getting there. So, so I guess what I'm saying is, uh, on the one hand, the insight would probably be this thing of old dogs and new tricks is bullshit. There is no old dog. Um, and, and that's actually backed up by science. Your brain doesn't stop making new connections until your last breath. So that checks out. We get comfortable in the idea that we are limited by our old habits. And that's bad. And that might even be relevant to dealing with trauma, actually. Um, um, Dion. Why do you point at me when you talk about trauma? Well, I haven't but, had trauma. Well, not, not, <laughs> well, not this week, but like it's been slow. And anyway, this oak's under lock and key. So, you know, he's safe. But no, no, I, I'm, I'm make, I make light. But, but I think um, I'm going to ask you this serious question is, as someone who's been through this, do you still see yourself through the same lens now that you've done something no, about it. No, not at all, actually. Okay. And I, I, I was talking about this to a friend the other day, is the amount of confidence that going through the podcast has given me because I did it being entirely obscure, having no support, having no money. Well, not no support, but no no institutional support. And, mm. and I mean, now people kind of know who I am. People pay me to do things and it it. But the extraordinary thing is, I so at the very beginning of the year, I went to see his house where he's being right. kept in near Huttonbos. Um And I went to stand in front of the house and I smoked a cigarette. 
Because um, you could stand outside free and he was locked in, basically. Well, and then we drove over the Otaniqua Pass to um, Oaksuren, which is a different magistrate's district. And I was allowed to go there because I'm a free man. Right. I can go anywhere. I mean, I have my passport. I can go to Oaksuren and then I can go to, <laughs> I don't know, Bonnyvale. <laughs> because I haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and the notion of being a free man and, and, and free of this, this kind of, you know, Bullfrog that was festering in my head. It, it's really it's it's made it's made all the difference. Yeah. And they they now I have an arc for the episode as well. Yeah, uh, very good, very good. But but so just to to mm. add to that to that point, um, I also think that um, you know, um, you you become a masterpiece of your resilience. That yeah. sounds very poetic and okay. good. <laughs> well, I mean, a masterpiece. I don't know what it means, but I yeah, like it. It's magnificent. <laughs> you become a masterpiece of your resilience. You've gone through this thing. Yes, it 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 it, it was horrific. And and the thing is, is that it's never going to leave you. It's always going to be part of you, and it, it shapes and it forms you. But it gives you some sort of power. It, it like as a misfit or as a as an outsider when when you go through shit and um it's horrible when you push through. And you push through that wall, and you know, you know, and like Cindy said, I'm going to be unstoppable. Nobody's going to keep me quiet. This is where where transformation and big, big growth happens. And I think this is this is this is your moment. This is your like that Eminem song. In, you only get one time, one moment, opportunity in your lifetime to do this. I mean, I'm going to interrupt you on a profound point, but if this is what the disruption diary is to me. Dion set a massive disruption challenge to himself which is break yes. the cycle of being the victim in silence and allowing these things to continue that's very fucking hard because yeah. it's, it's a pattern that your brain tells you you cannot break and you broke it and this is what comes out on a much smaller scale but why we do this thing every week is that you learn something from eating you know a couple of non-animals for a while and then I'm, you know, making con con what I'm trying to say is once you break these there's nothing wrong with breaking patterns it, a lot of good things comes out of it Thank you very much. And to all the outsiders out there, please go to Outsiders ZA um, on Facebook and go and join the community, share your outsider stories. And at the same time is remember that this is a community of belonging. This is a place where we unite, respectfully disagree. And this is how we're going to push the human race forward. We're going to break down the walls and we are going to build the bridges. <laughs> been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.